Father God, um, my heart is to slow down this morning and, and thank you and look to you. Jesus, I, I thank you for taking our place on the cross that gave us this liberty to come to you, to approach your throne with confidence, knowing that we will find mercy and we will receive grace. This morning, um, the sermon that you've given me to preach, I pray that uh, you would push back the darkness. I pray against Satan, our enemy, your enemy, that you would push him back, that in your power, in the hearts, in the minds, in the emotions of the people in this room, that you would push back any influence that Satan has on them, any lies that they are believing. That you do what only you can in your power. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would give them the truth this morning. He would help us to see Jesus for who he is and what he has done. We trust you. Uh, We look to you. Father, I pray that you would give me your words. That you would empower me. Help me. Help us. We need you so very much. and, And our need for you should never go away. It is severe, our need. So we just come to you, we look to you as your children. And thank you for your time. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your presence, that you're with us. Just help us to understand that now um, and to feel that and to sense you moving in our midst. Walking with us as our God. I pray in the, the beautiful, amazing, joy-filled name of Jesus. Amen. As you know, Josh is out this week. If you didn't know that, I'm not the pastor here. Um, so he is in Oklahoma in his, his motherland uh, down south. And we're glad that Josh and Sherry and the girls um, have got a break uh, from the ministry, and we just hope and pray that they're refreshed in their time um, away uh, this week. My name is Greg Hill. I'm one of the elders in the church, and I come in the name of Christ today. Um, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Second Timothy chapter 4, uh, whether it's in your Bible, on your phone app, um, any device. If you don't have a Bible today, I want you in the Word with us, so there's one underneath the seat in front of you. Go ahead and grab that. And turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 today. And as you're turning there, I just kind of want to give a brief overview, an objective of what the sermon is about today. And it's two parts. One part, the first part is, um, well, I remember when Josh, or I accepted this, this sermon today, and I was praying about what I should preach on. And I was reminded of 1 Corinthians 1 and then into 1 Corinthians 2 where Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. And I've decided, I've decided 
nothing but except for, to, to, to preach Jesus and him crucified to you. So that's on my heart. I was like, wow, that's a pretty good idea right there. Secondly, or the first part of the sermon, it's going to be a state of the church in one particular area. If there were a state of the church address, then this should be a line item on that address um, as it pertains to America. Perhaps I can't speak toward Europe and Asia and other parts of the globe, but the state of the church in one particular area um, as it pertains to America and the West. Um, and up front, I need to, need to say, if, if any of you have been paying attention to what's going on around you, something's happening to the church, right? And I'm not just talking about Crosspoint Church, right? So this just isn't directed at Crosspoint. This is an observation of what's going on in Peoria, the Midwest, America, that pertains to the church. We are in the 21st century, and we are far removed from the first century church. And as I've observed what's going on in the church today, I've often thought about the first century church and how they were, they were closer in proximity to the execution of Jesus. And perhaps they were more acclimated to a lifestyle of suffering, of persecution. See, in America, there really hasn't, today... To have faith in Christ, it doesn't cost you very much, does it? It's kind of a comfortable, easy, palatable Christianity, isn't it? And that's the state of the church that I'm going to address this morning. That that really is just, golly, it's so near and dear to my heart. It concerns me about the church. And as an elder in this church, I just care for Crosspoint. And God has laid that on my heart to talk about it this morning. So we're going to talk about that for a moment. And then we're going to go to Christ and Him crucified. Um, J.I. Packer, I'm going to quote him. He's always a good idea to quote um, on kind of the 21st century church and and where we are uh, for the most part as a church. He says this, and I'll slow it down. It's a really good quote. From a book called Weakness is the Way. When the world tells us, as it does, that everyone has a right to a life that is easy, comfortable, and relatively pain-free. A life that enables us to discover, display, and deploy all the strengths that are latent within us. The world twists the truth right out of shape. It's lying to you to tell you that that's the life that you are Um, that you can have, that you deserve. That was not the quality of life to which Christ's calling led him, nor was it Paul's calling, nor is it what we are called to in the 21st century. For all Christians, the likelihood is rather that as our discipleship continues, God will make us increasingly weakness-conscious and pain-aware so that we may learn with Paul That when we are conscious of being weak, then and only then may we become truly strong in the Lord. It's what the world is telling us, that we have a right to that kind of life. And and it has these implications, it has these consequences for Christians 
that we begin to get conditioned by that message that the world preaches. We become comfortable. We become disassociated from Jesus and the suffering that he endured. Disconnected. We don't know how to deal with that. We don't know how to deal with suffering or persecution. We haven't had to face it. And when it comes our way, we don't fare well. We, we kind of waffle. We foil at some of that. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is obviously Paul's second letter to Timothy. He's going to kind of help us see some of this state of the church. Now let's go ahead and read this and then we'll unpack it. And it's the first four verses in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Please hear me. My, my heart this morning is not to beat you over the head and say, hey, you're not doing well. My heart this morning is to plead with you in compassion and to say, think with a sober mind. Look around. Look inside of Cross Point. Look in Peoria. Look at the surrounding area. Look at the climate spiritually in our country. It's alarming. There's this really pretty, embellished, sugar-coated Christianity that's unacceptable. I come in the name of Jesus today pleading with you to identify with Him. As we get to Him, stomach that, swallow that. Chew on that in his suffering. That's where we must go today. So, Paul tells Timothy to do what? Preach the word. Pastor Josh is our lead pastor. Cameron Easley as one of the elders here. Myself as an elder here. Any person that fills this pulpit, any person that fills any other pulpit in any church on the globe... Their job is not to communicate to you what they fancy and their notions. That is not their job. Their job, my job today, is to preach the pure, plain Word of God. That's it. And your job is to endure that teaching. Your job is to sit under that teaching. So he's telling Timothy... Hey, the time's coming. And you need to really seize that time now to preach the word. And in, in patience and understanding, with a compassionate heart. And he tells him to repro- reprove, rebuke, and exhort. These three terms are a means to take you from evil and to bring you to good. Do you see that? Reprove and rebuke are two very similar terms. They both mean to correct. Reprove might mean to do it gently. 
Rebuke might, might mean to do it a little sharply, to cut more. But they're both correcting. And because I love you and I'm accountable to Christ, I will tell you that you're all sinners. That's what you are. Sin is not this byproduct. It's something over here, a, a consequence or a result of, but it's you. It's me. We are sinners, and what do we do? We sin. I rebuke that in every one of us this morning. That is the problem, is us. That's the problem. And exhort is to urge strongly. I urge every one of us strongly to understand what repentance is. It's a very simple concept of turning from sin to turn your back onto sin when you're going towards sin and the Holy Spirit cuts you to the heart with reprove and rebuke and says, hey, knock it off. You're an evildoer. You're wicked. What you're thinking is unrighteous. What you're doing, your thoughts, your deeds, your words, what you're not doing by sin of omission He's cutting us to the heart. And I would exhort us to turn from that sin and turn our back on that. Turn our back on ourself and admit, eat that humble pie. Admit what we are and turn to Christ. I have a, uh, a lyric this morning. It's a band called King's Kaleidoscope. Anybody know King's Kaleidoscope? Christian band? Love them. They have this song, and let me read this to you. This describes us. And still I'm a wicked, wretched man. I do everything I hate. I am fighting to be God. I seethe and claw and thrash and shake. I have killed and stacked the dead on a throne from which I reign. In the end, I just want blood, and with his blood my hands are stained. Isn't that true? See, the God who reigns on high, he has opened his own veins from his wounds, a rushing torrent that can wash it all away. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. In this climate that we're in, in America, we're comfortable. And we're not enduring. And we're disconnected from the God who was killed we're disconnected and disassociated. We can't identify with that. We're desensitized that Jesus was executed. And in love, I want, us, I want to bring us there today that we would see that, that we would think about that, that we would know that. That when we give our testimony and we say, well, Jesus died for my sins. Well, let, let's stop at the second word. Jesus died. And then for what? For sin, for me. And that's the truth, and we need to connect with that. Dare I say that the time is coming that persecution will happen in this country. The time that Paul spoke of to Timothy, he said there is a time coming, or the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That time's here. There are churches in this area that are like that. Praise be to God, this is not one of them. 
I want you to know if you're visiting, if you're new here, if you're old here, this is a really not perfect place. Don't expect that from us, okay? But it's a, it's a safe place. Josh, me, Cameron, we care about sound doctrine. We care about the truth. We care about that and raising the body up in maturity to present you to Jesus when we face him. But the time is here. It's all around us if you're paying attention. So Paul talks about three things that are undoubtedly related in verse 3 of not enduring, itching ears, and accumulating that we'll talk about now. And he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That word endure jumped off the page at me when I read it. Wow, you have to endure sound teaching. What does that mean? It means you have to continue. You have to say, man, i got to just sit under this. It's not really comfortable. It's not creamy, sugary. You have to stick with it. Why are, why are Christians, why are professing Christians not enduring? Go out on a limb here. This, this whole religious freedom thing in America has got an ill to it. It creates a, a climate of Christians that don't endure. I would imagine the first century church kind of had an endurance to it. That they saw Jesus bloodied and killed. And they understood what it meant to raise your hand for him. They, okay, that's what I'm getting into. I'm going to carry my, my seat and my sword to church on the way. And when Paul says that the time is coming that they won't endure sound teaching, they'll, they'll find the content and the demands of the gospel impalatable. And what that means is the content of the gospel is, hey, Genesis 3, it went sideways, sin entered the world, and broke everything, implicated every part of creation, which is us, we're in that wake. Jesus put on flesh and endured the cross for us to be the fix, to be the the remedy for sin. And the demand is that you would repent. I'm not asking you to. That's unpopular. Would you please repent? Would you please? No, you need to repent. It's not a scare tactic. It's a truth. It's a demand that God says, look, sinner, I love you. And and I demonstrated that love on the cross. And it demands that you repent. And Christians, it's unpalatable to them. they, they, They spit that out of their mouth. I can't taste that. Itching ears. It's the second one. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The itching ear is a turning away of the truth. I don't, I don't want to hear that. I've got this itch over here. It's my, my own passion. It's not God's passion. I'm going to go find. See, the itching ear and the accumulating of teachers. Let's read that again. 
Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from what? From listening to the truth. They don't, want to, they don't want to endure sound teaching. They don't want to sit under sound teaching. They don't want to hang in there. You must. So instead, they go, they go accumulate for themselves. They go, Let's go find the preachers that will tell us what we want to hear. Because I've got a passion about every day being a Friday. I've got a passion about you know, the next house or car or whatever passion or lust that you have. You're going to go find teachers that are going to tell you that. They, they, with accumulating this, they, they pack the pulpits of their churches with these preachers that want to tell them what they want to hear. It's a two-way street. It's a mutual agreement, right? They're both implicit in this lie. And these preachers are not preaching the truth. This harkens to Luke 6.26 when Jesus says this, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Have you read that? It's not talked about very much in our day. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the prophets. He's talking about, okay, so you have the prophets of God in the Old Testament that are prophesying, and they're being hated on, they're being tortured, they're being killed and martyred. And then you've got these false prophets that are telling people what they want to hear. And people speak well of them. Oh, we like those guys. They're wonderful. And they're not being hated, they're not being tortured, they're not being beaten, they're not dying for God. This is a warning to the pulpit. This is a warning for the teachers To reject the approval of the world. I am not here to gain your approval today. Just not. I love you and we want love in the church, sure. But I won't die and see any one of you face to face. I will die and face my maker Jesus. That's a warning to the teachers to say, look. Reject the approval of the world and stay faithful and true to God. And I have to say that time is here. It's in Peoria. I'm, I'm now at Samaritan Ministries, shameless plug, and I'm the HR specialist and recruiter, and I have the unique responsibility of being the gatekeeper. I am interviewer number one guy, unless it's somebody I know. But I get to hear about people's testimony. Some of them are really scary. And I hear about some of these churches, and I'm like, that's concerning. And they're in this area and they're preaching lies. And the people, that, that itchy ear, man, it's getting scratched all day long. I want you to be aware of that and I want you to, to praise Jesus for this place and this church that has a healthiness about it. We have muddy waters, of course. That happens to any church that's doing anything for Jesus. If I may be so bold, some of you in this room have itching ears. You don't like this. You haven't been rebuked maybe enough to understand that that's a good thing that happens to you. You haven't grown up enough to say, you know what, 
So I'll, I'll be honest, Josh rebuked me last week, and it, it cut me. And I love him for it. I've gained a friend that loves me enough to say, Greg, you've got to get right in this area. Some of you in this room are on the cusp of leaving this church. Right when Jesus is about to do something wonderful here. Don't get that ear scratched. Repent. Turn to Jesus. And see, here's the thing. You need to trust God with the church of Cross Point through the leadership of the elders. That's how he set it up. Josh, Cameron, and myself, and any other man that has been called of God to lead the church, that's our heart. We care about this place. And we need you to look to Christ and trust for the church through our leadership and stay and endure sound teaching. Don't go. Don't leave. Have you experienced disservice in the church or hurt or pain? That's going to happen at the next one. I've got news for you. It happens everywhere. Have you been let down? It's going to happen here. Don't leave. That's family. Come on, guys. Isn't that family? It happens. We're brothers and sisters. We will quibble. We'll bristle. But stick it out. Endure. Let's mature and grow together in Jesus. So now to transition to looking to Jesus. Suffering servant. So back to J.I. Packer just for a minute. Some of us have believed that lie. Just to reiterate that. Some of us are thinking, we're believing that lie that we can have this relatively pain-free, easy Christian walk. And when we go... When we go to persecution, when we are addressed with suffering, we don't fare well. I just want to urge you to to exercise that part of your faith to say, man, I believe in Christ and I want to go there as we look at Jesus. He endured the cross so we can endure some sound teaching and look to him. So Isaiah 52 verse 14, you can bring that one up, Brad. This is Christ. I should have done this a while back. There are going to be some images in here if you don't want your children to see them. Jim Caviezel on the cross, that's where we're going. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. And his form beyond that of the children of mankind. At the hearing before Caiaphas, Jesus was spat upon. You've got to see this. Middle of the night, falsely accused. They're spitting on him. They're punching him in the face. They're pulling hair out of his beard. Let's slow down and see that. His, his persecution and his crucifixion are ensuing. It's happening to him. His own creation is in the process of killing him. 
And they start by spitting on him, slapping, punching, grab the old beard and yank some hairs out of it. And next, Pilate had him flogged and scourged. You can bring up the, the flog picture. So this is like a whip. They would flog the prisoner with it. It would kind of tenderize the, the back, the legs, tenderize the flesh. And then they would scourge the prisoner. Go to the cat of nine tails. So, after that, they would bring out the cat of nine tails. And there's probably much more to this than I'm able to teach on today. The cat of nine tails had these barbs in the end of it. And the soldier would drive it into the prisoner. Cat of nine tails would grab the flesh and yank it off the back of the prisoner. Sometimes even it would grab a bone. And it wasn't uncommon for a prisoner to die from this process alone. From this ordeal alone, it wasn't uncommon for a prisoner to die from flogging and scourging. That's Jesus, brothers and sisters. That should bother you. That you're so comfortable And I'm not saying that we need to be persecuted. I'm in the hand of God as far as what he has planned for my life. And if he wants me to be killed for him, then so be it. If not, so be it. But we have to go to Jesus and identify with his death in order to deal with our sin, with us. Bring up the picture of after he was scourged. And I want to say that's modest. When you read Isaiah 52, it says that his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. And his form beyond that of the children of mankind. They twisted together a crown of thorns. Can you imagine that? And placed it on his head and just just kind of Drove it down into his head. It's not popular, but I love you to death. And this is what we need to, we need to go here in the 21st century when we're just so comfortable. We need to, this needs to be palatable. This needs to be like sobriety needs to happen in here and in here for us. And of course they nailed Jesus to the cross to hang and die. Persians invented this way of execution. The Romans perfected it, some say. They drove spikes through his hands, through his feet, to die by way of asphyxiation. Drove a spear into his side. And, and when they were done with him, he was beaten into an, a shockingly inhuman mass of flesh. That's why I think that's, that's modest. 
You can tell that Jim Caviezel is a human. I thank, I thank God for Isaiah 52, 14. Because it helps me say, wow, he was marred for me. And it says that as many people were astonished at you, when they looked at Jesus, they had to turn away. They were appalled by that and astonished by him. Because he didn't look human. They had marred him and mangled him so badly. That's our God. You want to raise your hand for Jesus? You need to deal with that. The truth. Now this is painstakingly, heartbreakingly serious. Our sin. That's... You have to intellectually first understand that's what we did to him. To deal with us, he had to go through that. And that's how ugly we are. You know, morality does not equal righteousness. And in this day, it's this 21st century American pretty moral Christianity. And it's false. It's not the truth. We are sinners. We are evildoers. I told someone that my son was a little evildoer the other day, and they looked at me strangely like, why would you say that about your kid? Because he is. Because I am. Because you are. Identify with that. That's the truth. It's an ugly mess. And then let us rejoice because... After that, it didn't stay there. The very power of God came into his body and raised him from the dead. He took death down. <clears throat> and what we deal with, this sin, this, this disease that we have in us, that, golly, just drives me crazy. It should drive you crazy, doesn't it? It gets exhausting. He dealt with it. Done. And then he rose from the grave. And then he ascended on high. And he's at the right hand of the Father, man. He is reigning victoriously. And we, as believers, are found where? In him. In. That's you and me. And he took it down, he paid the penalty. Let us rejoice in that. I am new. See, we don't have to stay here, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying that, but we have to go there. We don't have to stay there. Let us rejoice that he's alive and well. I believe that when I bow my head and pray to him today or any time, I'm speaking to him. I'm at his feet. I'm at his throne. And you should too. And that sin was taken away. He removes that sin and gives you himself. 
Holy Spirit takes up residence in the believer, and you're a new creation in Him. I love you guys. I do. Um, yeah. That's all. Let's pray.